Hello everybody and welcome back to Witch Fix. It's been a hot minute but today I am looking at the 14th book in the Wicker series by Kate Tiernan and that is called Full Circle. And I do believe this is actually the last time that we see Morgan, Hunter and all the rest of these characters at this point in their lives because the final book in the series, which I have taken out of my to read pile to read but haven't started yet, is called Night's Child and it appears to be set like 20 years into the future and it's about Morgan's daughter. So... I was a little bit concerned going into this book that a lot of stuff from the series would not be wrapped up in a timely manner because it feels like although these books have gone on for quite a while, like this is the 14th one and a lot of stuff has been gone over quite a few times, a lot of things were raised in this book and have been raised in the last couple of books that I was kind of worried would not be satisfactorily dealt with before we left this period of Morgan's life and uh, we'll get into that in due course as we go through what happens in this particular book. Like some of the other books um, sort of towards the end of the series this one has a different format it is alternating perspective between Morgan and Hunter and there are no beginning of the chapter like, excerpts from other people's diaries or perspectives so we are just with Morgan and Hunter throughout the book and at the beginning of the book I would say that I was way more interested in Hunter's plot line uh, and then about halfway through Morgan's one got a little bit more interesting so at the beginning of the book Morgan is having uh, recurring bad dreams about hawks attacking her and her being alone in the dark and running away from things and the dreams aren't actually the same each time but they do include some of the same sort of elements uh, and she's having these nightmares and isn't very happy about that and uh, that isn't terribly interesting to me the fact that she's just constantly talking about her being tired her having these nightmares uh, and not knowing what they mean um, Hunter's story at the beginning conversely is slightly more interesting he has quit being a seeker he quits being a seeker at the beginning of the book and has kind of uh, a mini phone based showdown with his old mentor who says like you know no one quits the council why don't you just take a leave of absence why don't I come and talk to you why don't we do this and that anything to keep you from quitting and Hunter's like yeah no I, I don't want to be part of the council anymore because I don't agree with it and it seems like you're a bit dodgy and I don't really believe in, in what you believe in anymore and added to that once he's renounced his sort of position as a seeker he gets contacted by two witches who are from a, a neighboring coven in like a different town who are worried that their coven leader might be practicing dark magic. These two characters, hello wind chimes, kind of annoyed me a little bit because it seemed like every step of the way they were like, oh no, we don't want you to actually like do anything. Please don't do anything. Please don't take any action. No, she's a lovely lady, but at the same time we're super convinced that she's into dark magic. And I was like, it feels like these two things are at odds with each other, but fair enough. I was slightly more interested in that because it felt like there was a lot more conflict going on because obviously Hunter wasn't really a seeker anymore. How was he going to handle this situation with someone potentially using dark magic? What dark magic was that person doing? What were they trying to accomplish with it? All of that good, meaty, story-based stuff. So um, I was kind of more interested in what Hunter's plotline was. But things started to heat up around the middle of the book because... Morgan realised that in addition to having these horrible bad dreams, she was also sleepwalking during these dreams. She wakes up from one where she's like running through the forest trying to escape from someone and her legs and arms are all scratched up and her feet and everything are wet and covered in grass. So clearly she has been outside, although it's never really revealed where she went outside, if she was actually in the place that she was dreaming about um, or if she was just like in her backyard downstairs. Morgan's storyline doesn't really get 
interesting until around page 60, uh, which is, I would say, just over a third of the way into the book. And um, she goes to Practical Magic to talk to Alice and Hunter and say, look, this thing's happening. And they kind of try and do some dream interpretation with her, but it, it basically kind of goes nowhere. They just talk about vague symbols in her dreams and what they might mean. Uh, like walls representing either safety or confinement and other things of that nature and I think I've said before in several reviews of not just this book series but like other series and other books that I find dream sequences super dull and I include under that category anything to do with uh, vision quest type visions uh, anything to do with hallucinations anything to do with tarot card readings and the explanations of what those mean for the character, anything that's really just there to kind of bring to the forth some stuff about the character and about the plot, which isn't actually in a scene that is plot relevant, it's just dumping a load of symbolism on you to sort through. And usually I skip over dream sequences, so I was not super happy that there were like four in this book uh, before like page 60, and also then we had to sit through like four pages of dream interpretation, so... I was kind of skim reading that and uh, then again it got slightly more interesting later on because it was revealed that she was seeing Cal in her dreams which is obviously quite disturbing for her and Alice and the others kind of come to the conclusion that it's probably just her subconscious or something um, feeling guilty about Cal but they're not really sure what's going on so they give her a special potion which is meant to put her in a very deep sleep and stop her from dreaming uh, and in the meantime Hunter goes on with his sort of investigation into the coven leader and that's where I basically started to come unstuck from enjoying his plotline because a lot of his investigation seems kind of pointless. For instance step one appears to be him going to the woman's house with his dad to scry at her in her garden so he can see what she's doing but then she instantly detects them scrying her and they have to run away Whereas he's cast a load of concealment spells and stuff on himself so she can't detect that there are blood witches nearby. So all they could have done, really, is snuck up to a window and looked in. And then they would have been able to watch her for more than the 50 seconds they were able to accomplish by scrying at her from her hedge. Uh, so that seemed kind of pointless. And then later on, he goes to observe a circle meeting that she's doing. But he observes it from the roof, dangling like over the side. Like he's, he's described as like kneeling on the roof and using a periscope to look down into the room. It's not said that it's a magic periscope. It's just said that it's one he got from like a spy store or something. I think maybe they say that it's spelled, but it isn't clear how. And I was confused by this because I thought periscopes were something that you use to look at something that is the same way up as you are. So like looking over the edge of like a trench, you are upright and facing forward. The periscope is also upright and facing forward, but you're just using it to look over the edge of the trench uh, using a system of mirrors. Same with when you use them in like submarines, you're just looking up um, at something that is the same orientation as you are, whereas he is looking upside down with it. So surely everything he's looking at would be upside down. And I thought it would make more sense if maybe he'd been written to use a spell, say, because he's a witch, to make the roof translucent or clear so that he could just look down on the circle meeting. Or if he was standing on the fire escape looking in the window again, but just invisible and undetectable. So the whole periscope thing didn't really make a lot of sense to me. And those scenes were also kind of boring. In the meantime, in Morgan's storyline, they're becoming increasingly convinced that it is Cal's spirit, which is somehow haunting her. They refer to this as an anam, as in like animation um, or something like that. Uh, and 
they're sort of talking about it as part of his like soul or whatever that's just hanging around and causing problems uh so at this point hunter then contacts his contact at the council to see what happened to cal and celine's bodies in that book where they got murdered which was right at the beginning of the series i think it was like book five or something uh so we finally find out what happened to their bodies they were taken back to england and cremated so it's sort of unclear as to how this soul is going about because obviously neither of them are still alive but there seems to be some speculation that the soul could have jumped out and gone into some other living thing or uh, some other vessel that is now carrying it around and using it against uh, Morgan and you know everyone around her. To be honest, at this point, I was finding both of the storylines kind of equally dull. There wasn't a huge amount going on. We had gotten into a holding pattern of Morgan talking about not wanting to sleep and having these weird dreams and Hunter talking about how much he was afraid for Morgan and various other little things that didn't really factor into how I felt about the plot. Like Sky, his cousin, came back from England and he was thinking about her and her relationship with Raven and how that had broken down. And it just didn't seem entirely relevant and I never really cared about that anyway. But on page 104, it finally gets back into, you know, interesting dramatic things happen because in a scene reminiscent of the, like, Disney, I think it was Disney, version of Anastasia, um... Morgan is having a dream about Cal leading her up this path uh, through a park, through a wildflower meadow, towards a bed, which is in the meadow, and it's all very lovely. And she is, like, fighting against him and saying, like, no, I don't want to join you, I don't want to be with you. She's, like, struggling to wake up. And when she wakes up, she finds herself teetering on the edge of the precipice, uh, which Hunter and Cal were on the edge of when they were fighting in, like, one of the earlier books again, and that Hunter went over. And it kind of looks as though Cal was trying to sleepwalk her off a cliff to kill her, which is very dramatic and cool. And uh, then she scrambles away from the edge. This kind of ruined some of the tension for me because I couldn't equate what was being described to physical action in my head. So what actually happens is this. I looked down and sucked in a frozen breath. Goddess. I was outside, it was night, and I was standing on the rocky ledge where Kel and Hunter had fought months ago. My toes could feel the unstable ground crumbling beneath me. This was where I'd thrown an asthma at Hunter, where I thought I had killed him. Now I was going to fall over the same cliff. My arms started to windmill in slow motion as I felt my weight start to shift over the ledge. Below me was a 25-foot drop onto rocks surrounded by icy mountain runoff. I was going to die. Cal had led me here to die. Small pebbles and dirt broke free beneath my feet and I heard their almost imperceptible tumble down the cliff. Goddess, goddess, help me, I thought, cold sweat breaking out on my forehead. I was going to die right here, right now, unless I saved myself. I needed to save myself. Holding my breath and going against every survival instinct I had, I consciously willed myself to relax every muscle. My feet were pedalling against the side of the ledge. I felt my balance start to shift. Drop, I told myself, my eyes closed. Drop, your weight will carry you backwards. Just let yourself fall. Like a building in an earthquake, my body went limp and I crashed heavily to the ground with a thud. Every bone in my body shook with the impact. The breath left my lungs in a whoosh, and for several seconds my mouth worked uselessly, trying to suck in air. I felt my feet dangling over the edge and my eyes shot open. I turned over and scrambled onto the dirt and roots around me, finding one to latch onto. Holding the root, I snaked forward on my belly until I was sure I was on solid ground. So some of that just kind of confused me a little bit. It's kind of repetitive the way she kind of realises that she's going to die like twice. And then the thing that kind of really confused me was how she says her feet were pedalling against the side of the ledge. So it's like the side of the ledge, which kind of implies that she's hanging over. 
um because i i picture feet pedaling as being that thing you do when you're like hanging onto the edge of something and your legs are in midair and you're like trying to find something to put your feet on to get purchased but she's meant to be standing on the edge of the cliff and i didn't understand um what that meant that's just like a persnickety thing but it just kind of ruined that um, dramatic moment for me uh to be honest she also calls hunter and is like hunter help me in a, in a witch message but then doesn't tell him where she is and he eventually like he says something like it like tunes into the witch message and he can figure out where she is but i feel like in this situation where i've just saved myself from plunging over a cliff at night and i'm covered in muds and i'm wearing only like a t-shirt in the forest I would maybe send a more specific message like, Hunter, I'm at that cliff that you fell off or like, Hunter, I just fell down on the cliff near Carol's old house just to kind of cut out the middleman and just make sure he gets there as soon as possible rather than as soon as he can work out where I am using magic. Page 117 and Morgan gets some news from a lady who turned up, I think, in the book before Seeker. Basically, uh, she's one of the members of the council and she offers her like a scholarship to go to England to study magic and things um I actually think it's in Scotland I could be wrong but basically to study there for eight weeks under special witch stewardship uh, and that no one her age no one uninitiated and no one American has like ever been asked to do this so it's kind of like a massive honor I felt like this was sort of a random thing to chuck into the book it didn't necessarily need to be there but um it, it added an, a little bit of conflict with her family, which did kind of spice up the, the remaining third of the book. So that was quite nice. Uh, then they start talking about the symbolism of her dreams again. And they identify the fact that there's like the fire winged hawk. And Morgan saw herself with wings made of fire to be a reference to that thing that her dad, Kieran, told her that she was the Sigur's Dan or the Scourge of Fate. The person who's going to tip the fate of the Woodbanes one way or the other. So, um they talk about that a little bit and then they come up with a plan and uh, basically this is a plan from several nightmare on elm street movies what they're going to do is tuck morgan into bed not give her any of the potion that was kind of pointless anyway because it didn't stop her sleepwalking and then when she's confronted by cal in her dream she's going to like grab him and in that way catch a hold of him in the physical plane so that he can be tackled by two witches from the witch shop and also Hunter and they can stop him from doing what it is he's doing and imprison his spirit in uh, a vessel and they've chosen like a big hunk of crystal to do that with. As well as finding this plan to be something that never really worked in Nightmare on Elm Street, um, I found it a little bit weird because it was nowhere before mentioned that they thought that Cal was, or what his spirit or whatever, was physically present near her at the time that she was dreaming. I assumed that it was just like magically reaching into her thoughts from a faraway location or maybe even some kind of astral plane. But they seem to think that it's like a physical presence which is coming into her home at night and that has to be near her to do these things in her dreams then they say also that alice bethany and hunter will be hidden magically in the room with her to help her dream and i'm like okay so if this thing has to be with her physically that makes sense that they would have to hide but also they say that they're going to do it at alice's house this makes sense obviously because morgan's parents don't really know that she's a real life magical powers witch they think that she's just into like wicca so obviously they can't do it at her house, but it just struck me as very stupid of them to do this and even stupid of the bad guy to fall for it. Because if you turned up at someone's house who you've been like plaguing in their dreams and they weren't there 
And then you went to a well-known, like, magical ally of theirs house and found them sleeping there. You might begin to suspect, maybe, that something was amiss, that a trap had been laid, a trap that you did not want to stumble into, because she's randomly sleeping at someone else's house after not taking that potion that she's been taking that's been making it very difficult for you to get into her dreams. Difficult, but not impossible. So that struck me as not making a huge amount of sense, but I was prepared to go with it. If it had been me writing it, I would probably have come up with a reason for her parents to not be there that evening. Like maybe they would be going to a concert out of town and her sister would be sleeping over at Alyssa's house because they've just made up as friends. And then they could have done it at Morgan's house. But there you go. After they decide on this plan before putting it into action, Hunter goes off to kind of conclude his investigation into Patrice, who is the coven leader potentially using dark magic. This is when he whips out his maybe magic telescope, periscope, periscope, and sort of peeps in on the coven meeting. And he finds out that she is draining magic from people in her coven during circle after hypnotizing them with a special spell. This is also a big no-no. We found out previously from her like coven members that she has a son who is dangerously ill. Um, I think he's had a bone marrow transplant, but the bone marrow from the donor is now attacking his body um, as it sees his cells as invaders. So he's like rejecting the bone marrow and he's very, very sick. And it's pretty clear that his mum is using this power she's stealing from people to try and bolster him up and make him better. He then sees Patrice leave with one of the cover members who initially reported her to him. He tails them to a park and finds that she's preparing to do a spell which will basically suck the life force out of the, the lady she's essentially kidnapped so that she can put it into her son and make him better. She claims later to not realise that in the weakened state that that cover member is currently in, that this will kill her. Uh, it's not clear whether she knew that or not really. Hunter traps her, they have it all out, she gives them a little bit of cool motive, still murder, and then Hunter agrees to let her go and to tackle this again later, um, where, presumably when he has time from saving his girlfriend from certain death, and also when he's had time to think about the kind of punishment he wants to give out uh, and how it will differ now that he's not a seeker because he doesn't want to just take away her powers which we've seen is like a horrible thing that you can do to someone uh, but he doesn't obviously want her to have the opportunity to give into temptation again he then gets back to morgan on time to do the the little ritual thing that they had planned i kind of thought it'd be one of those things where he was still being waylaid elsewhere and there were sort of problems implementing the plan which could have added a bit more drama but they kind of do it no problem Cal turns up in Morgan's dream again, tries to lead her away, presumably to somewhere else where he can murder her. And she does as planned and pulls this essence out into the real world with her. At which point she wakes up and realises that she's holding the leg of a hawk. A hawk which the three like other witches in the room are currently like grappling with because it's like flapping around and squawking and struggling. Which was a funny image. They then managed to like kill the hawk and all this black whooshy stuff comes out of it and forms into Celine Belltower uh, from the first couple of books who is Cal's mum. You might remember way back when in the scene where she actually dies a load of black whooshy stuff came out of her and I think at the time I said maybe we're going to be seeing that there are more people possessed by demons or stuff but it seems like that was put there in order for this plot to happen many books later. So um, the black stuff looks like Celine and it starts to like ensnare and choke everyone in the room because they can't fight it with magic or anything. And so Morgan takes the very strange step of turning herself into a bird 
which I didn't know that she knew how to do. She does uh, mention, I think previously, that she knew that the shape-shifting spell that Kieran had taught her involved the true name of an animal, and the true name that she knows of animals are wolves and a hawk. So I guess she already knew all the components to do this. She turns into a hawk, Celine repossesses her hawk, and they have a sort of fight in the sky. Uh, Morgan eventually wins, and while Celine is dying on the ground and the black stuff is trying to get out of that hawk to squidge off and possess something else, Morgan puts her foot down on Celine's throat, or the hawk's throat, to keep the stuff inside until it's smothered and dead. Except Morgan is still in hawk form at this point, so she's just got her little hawky foot on, uh, on Celine's throat, which is kind of, again, a weird mental image. I did, though, have to rate Morgan for actually doing something decisive for once. She definitely doesn't shy away from the fact that she has to kill Celine. I feel like um, maybe she got a pass on the whole teen protagonists never kill anyone because they're fundamentally good people thing. Because obviously Celine is technically already dead, so she's really just murdering Celine's ghost or soul. Um, but either way, Celine is dead. Ding dong. That's great. And then the final parts of the book, um, so they're like the last like handful of pages, the last 20 or so pages, are just about them kind of summarising what's happened and thinking about things that have happened in the story so far. And they do a spell on Patrice, which essentially limits her powers so she can never again affect a living thing, which includes plants for some reason. Um, so she could still do magic that involves minerals and rocks and crystals and stuff but she can't ever do magic that will affect a living thing including spells to enhance her garden spells to heal people even spells on herself to like get rid of a headache but she'll still be tuned into the flow of magic she can still participate in circles and she won't have lost that sense completely which is what hurts people who have had their like magic stripped away on the one hand, I think this is a nice idea and definitely a good way to show that Hunter is now embracing the middle ground of not being in the council anymore. But I also feel it's it's not great because it obviously then limits her ability to perform good and beneficial magic. Um, so I don't really know how I felt about it, but it definitely felt like it wasn't the best solution they could have come up with. To top things off, Hunter now brings Morgan over to Patrice's house and she kind of lays hands on her son and goes in and in an unspecified way, there's a lot of talk about her going through and, and observing various systems in his body. It isn't clear really what she is accomplishing, if she completely heals him or just makes him slightly better, but he does appear to be better after she's done that and um, the mother is suitably impressed by this Jesus-like healing. The little coven that Hunter runs with Morgan in it then celebrates Beltane and Hunter and Morgan finally consummate their love in a thankfully fade to black scene. And then in the epilogue we see Morgan going off to Scotland to study with the witches because her parents have actually allowed her to go. She's taking her cat with her which I feel is a bit weird because she's only going for eight weeks which is two months. And surely the amount of time that it's going to like take to get that cat through quarantine and stuff just won't be worth it. But whatever. And then the last line is, the future was opening up for her like the petals of a flower. She would be the strong witch she'd always wanted to be. So on the one hand, I felt like this nicely wrapped up Morgan's teenage storyline and uh, had kind of dealt with some of the issues like Hunter leaving the council and various other things going on in the plot, like I guess Celine's evil ghost. 
I did kind of wish that Selina's evil ghost had been maybe mentioned a couple more times or that these dreams had occurred in other books previous to this to imply that it was more of a long-running dramatic thing. However, there are a number of things that I felt were left not really dealt with. For instance, Hunter gets told that leaving the council means he won't be able to be protected by them anymore and Morgan says sort of quite seriously that he should think of setting up his own council. And I felt like this was maybe an idea that could have been explored in more books when they were teenagers. Um, this sort of idea that there are ramifications of him needing uh, leaving the council and this idea that he's going to go set his own one up. Obviously, if we jump 20 years into the future and that's all set up, that obviously continues that storyline. But I would have liked to see a little bit more of it happening uh, in sort of the progress. Similarly, Morgan's sister and parents still don't seem 100% okay with her like practicing Wicca and being a witch. It would have been nice to get a little bit more closure on that than them allowing her to go to Scotland, especially with her sister, because her sister doesn't really seem to get witches that much. All in all, I felt like it did quite a good job of summing up, but maybe I was just left a little bit kind of empty and a little bit unsatisfied by it because it hadn't really tied up some of the other storylines that had been woven throughout this, like Alyssa's storyline and getting on with her family. These things had been kind of brought to a sort of nice tying up point, but they hadn't really been as fully explored as I would have liked them to be. So it wasn't that they had been left unfinished, they just hadn't been fully explored or fully aired. Whereas I think a lot of the stuff to do with like Morgan and her feelings for Cal and her feelings for Hunter, all that stuff had been very well covered in previous books and perhaps more time could have been given to other things. Having said that, I am quite excited to be getting into the 15th and last book in the series. I'm looking forward to catching up with Morgan and Hunter and everyone to see where they are in, you know, 20 years time. And it's also the longest book in the series. It's like twice the width of the usual books. So I feel like a lot was packed into that to finish the series up. Um, so that'll be exciting. And I'll see you in the review for that book. In the meantime, obviously, you can go back, refresh yourself on the lore of the Wicker series and go and check out some of the other series of books that I've just started up reviewing to take the place of this when it uh, eventually passes on out of my to read pile and into my to ebay pile don't forget that you can get in touch via twitter or email check the description box for those there's also the amazon wishlist link now in the description box so if you feel like contributing to that to read pile and possibly doing some structural damage to my wardrobe at this point then please do so and uh, send uh, a couple of secondhand paperbacks my way in the meantime i will see you in the next episode bye